that. But we started looking a couple weeks ago. We looked at, at changes and changes um, in our body during the, the resurrection. When we get up, we're, we're going to be a different person. We're going to be a different body. Actually, same person, same life, different body. But we looked the last time at a change of dimension. If you remember, we looked just to kind of bring you up and kind of get your mind back working where we were, we talked about the speed of light, and the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, and that's 6.7 billion miles per year. And if you could travel 6.7 million billion miles per year, if, if you could travel at that speed, it would take you 26 years to get to the star Vega. It would take you 608 years to get to the star Polaris. It would take you 900 years to get to the constellation Orion, yet to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means that we can move at the speed of a thought. As, as soon as we leave here, we'll no sooner close our eyes to this life, close our mind, close our heartbeat to we're in the presence of Almighty. That's some exciting things to even think about. So tonight I want to look at the next change here as we look at the resurrection, the change. There's going to be a change of destiny. Right now we live in this old body, and this old body that we live in is destined for the grave. Here in our text of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, and it is raised in incorruption. So I'm going to take just one verse at a time for a little bit tonight. We'll see how far we get. But Peter used the same word for corruption here, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, describing the destruction of the latter-day apostates. But Paul uses it here talking about the corruption of our bodies. When they put us in the grave, it's just a matter of time. According to Hebrews 9, appointed unto man wants to die. Sooner or later, it's, it's coming. And when it does, our bodies will, will corrupt. They will, they will dissolve back into the dust from which we came. But in contrast, in the resurrection, right now we're in this body that is destined for the grave, but we're going to have a body that's destined for glory. Amen? We will be sown in corruption. If you remember, we looked at that word sown. The word sown means to be planted. Um, he didn't say that we'd be buried in corruption. He said that we'd be sown in corruption. If y'all remember, we glanced at that a little bit. We talked about the corn, and you take the corn, you sow corn into the ground. When you put the corn in, the corn goes in, and it dissolves back into the ground. All of it dies. Everything about it dies and dissolves back. The only thing that does not die is the life. The life comes up in a new stalk. The same as us. Paul says we would be sown in. So we, um, after the resurrection, it says, though we were sown in corruption to dissolve back into the ground, it says that we will be raised in incorruption. I'm excited about that. Our resurrected bodies will be eternally incorruptible. Just like Jesus' body, they, they laid it in Joseph's tomb, but notice it didn't, it didn't stay there. It was miraculously preserved until the resurrection was complete on the third day. Our bodies will be miraculously changed. It will be miraculously restored, never to be corrupt again. Our bodies will no longer be subject to the conditions of the earth, will no longer be subject to the grave, no longer destined for the grave, but eternally destined for glory. Now, Paul knew a little something about what he's talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says in verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one called up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was 
caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul said, I was carried up into heaven, and it was so real, I couldn't even tell if I was in my body or not. It wasn't a dream. I was carried there. I'm just not real sure how it went. I had all the faculties of my body. I, I, I could smell. I could taste. I could feel. I could see. It's just like I was in my own body, but yet it was so extraordinary that it was almost like I was in an outer body experience. It was so far beyond anything I'd ever seen, so far beyond anything you could imagine, that, that it's like I was in my body, but then again, it was so amazing, it's like I couldn't have been in my body. He wrote to the church at Philippi. He told them he was in a strait betwixt two places, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide here in the flesh, is more needful for you. The word that Paul used there for desire, the Greek word also means to lust. Paul had gotten such a taste of glory when he went there. Paul had gotten such a taste of what he saw, he lusted to be with Jesus Christ. He had a desire, a lust, a passion to go back to where he was. I'm kind of with him. I believe God ever lets me in. Don't show me a vision and send me back here. God, yeah, get me in there. I just soon get to stay. But, but Paul says it would be far better if I could just leave now and go on into eternity. But for your sake, I'm going to have to stay here. One day you and I are going to receive a body that will be destined for glory, never tainted by corruption again. But along with the change in destiny is going to come another change. We'll have a change of dress. We're going to have some new clothes. We ain't going to have to worry about dress codes. We're not going to worry about my overdressed, underdressed. There's going to be a new dress. Our text says in verse 43, it is, uh, talking of our body is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. One day we're going to have a body clothed with light. I believe that. I, I believe it's a light around us. I'll show you a little bit. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but him, he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, clean and white. Now, I'm sorry, but there's some things in that verse that do not go together. Riding horses, white clothes, and clean. I rode a lot of horses in my life. I love a horse. That's my favorite animal. I love some horses. And I've been around a lot of horses. And you can get dirty just being around one. And I ain't never rode one I didn't get off dirty. Hair's on. Okay, how good the saddle is, how, how good the blanket is. So that means I'm going to have on something white that is horseproof. <laughs> Bulletproof. Dustproof. This ain't going to be sin-proof. I like that part. 
We, um, Matthew chapter 17, verse number 1, Jesus, the Bible says, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. And Peter answered and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he had spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5. This is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Right now we have a body that will be sown in dishonor. But it'll be raised in glory, raised in honor, raised in power, raised in light. I believe that the white raiment is the same thing as the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe they got to see a glimpse of what his body was like. And I believe it's the light that's around us. Matter of fact, I believe they had that light in the beginning. I don't think that Adam and Eve was naked. I think we're just going to be given back what they had in the beginning. I believe that they were clothed with that light. When they sinned, they lost the glory of God. They lost the light. We're just going to get back what they had. So we don't have to put this old stuff on. We're going to have something better. Amen? Dishonor. The word used here for dishonor means that we are sown in disgrace, but we'll be raised in glory. So since, since our text says raised in glory... Let me look at just for a minute what that means because Peter used the same word when he described Christ there at the transformation, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And Paul used it there in verse 41 describing the glory of heaven. Luke used it to describe the, the supernatural outpouring of God at, the, at the, um, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, the light that settled in between the cherubims. He used it when he was talking about the pillar of the cloud that settled in on the, the holy of holies. He used it describing it. And here in our text, Paul uses the same word to describe how we're going to be clothed in the resurrection. That ought to get your motor running. To, to know that the, the same word that was used to describe God in the Old Testament temple and God in the Holy of Holies and, and Christ and all of his powers, the same word here that the Holy Spirit took the hand of Paul and wrote to, that wrote to describe what you and I are going to look like. Something um, easy. Paul and I, we were talking, I don't know, a few days ago, but, but we, we were talking about messages and to be honest, I told him, I said, the hardest message to preach is Sunday morning. And it just is because on Sunday morning, you got some people that are lost. You got some people that have been saved for a week or two. They, don't, they didn't come up in church. They don't know the Bible. And I, because I traveled and preached, I could get away with stuff. But after I became pastor here, I used to a lot of times would say, you know the story. I'd make a reference to a Bible story and say, you know the story. But one Sunday morning, somebody come up to me afterwards and said, I don't know the story. And I explained the story. But the deal on Sunday morning is you got a lot of new Christians, and they need to understand what you're preaching. 
But you got some people out there that's been in church their whole lives. You got some people. I'm sorry, I'm moving. My floor is squeaking under me right here. It's bothering me. Um, you, you got some people that have doctorate degrees. You got people with a wealth of knowledge. So here's the deal. In one group of people, you got to preach something that has a nugget so good that the greatest theologian, the greatest Bible scholar can get a nugget out of it. But it's got to be so simple that somebody saved yesterday can understand it. Now, only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can speak to a group of people, but it makes you take longer to explain things on Sunday morning than it does. But the, the greatest message that you could ever preach would be messages that has nuggets in it for everybody out there. Huge nuggets that they could take and, and carry home and it would change your life. But it'd be so simple that a child could understand it. God didn't give me the ability to do either one of those. But that would be a great message. Anybody agree? Amen. So I was looking at, I was thinking, God, how, what is the simplicity of the resurrection? What is the simplicity of just looking at what I am and what I'm going to be in the change? It's pretty simple. It's a caterpillar. Old caterpillar lives his life on this earth. He's just a grub. He's, he's nothing. He's nothing to anybody. He just, he crawls around in the dust of the earth just like we do. Just trying to eat enough to get by to get through a day. And then toward the end, he senses the end is coming. He senses that his days are coming to a close. And he builds himself a coffin. And he climbs inside of that coffin. And he dies to the life that he knows. He dies to everything that he ever knew. He dies to crawling in the dust. And he comes back out a butterfly. Same grub. Same creature. Beautiful in appearance. Amazing and forever. That's us. We, we take this right here and, and we pin that old temporary coffin for a little while, but the resurrected body, it's going to be able to fly better than a butterfly. Matter of fact, it can fly at the speed of a thought. I like that part. So we, we, enter, we enter in in mortal flesh, but we come out in this immortal light. But not only change our dress, but to be a change of disposition. The last half of verse 43 says, that our, of our bodies, it'll be sown in weakness, raised in power. We are sown in this old feeble body. If you don't like your body being called feeble, you're not old enough for even to discuss it yet. But, but for some of us that's got a couple of days under our belt, we can call it feeble and get away with it. Sown in weakness, raised in power. So not only does our body wear out and get feeble, but the temptations that we endure, the things that the devil throws at us, the thing that the world throws that just keeps on coming, the battles that, that we face, all of those are a result of this old flesh. The body itself's not evil. The body itself was made in the likeness of God. This is a tribute to God. God made this body in his own image as a tribute to himself. The body's not evil. It's the sin that entered in. And, and it is the flesh that we now have in the body. What this mortal body does is it succumbs itself to sin. We give in to sin. We give in. Matter of fact, Sunday morning we looked at it. Each man, when he is enticed, he gives in to sin. We, we fall to it. We give in to the lust of the flesh and the desires that pulls us in. And, and when we give in to it, then our body becomes a willing vessel of sin. God cleanses us. With the blood of his own precious son. What a God. 
He, he takes all of our filth, the worst that we can do, the worst sin we can commit, the worst thing that happens. He takes that and he takes his own son's blood and he washes us, cleans us out and makes us pure and, and then fills us with his own Holy Spirit. He calls our bodies to be a living sacrifice. That's Romans 12, 1, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. But the flesh is weak. The night before the crucifixion, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. We do it here on the stage. He took them to the garden, and he told them to, to watch and pray with me. And y'all know the deal in, in the play. Jesus goes over here by the stone, and he, and he prays a while, and he comes back, and he finds them asleep. And he says, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? He said, could, could you not pray with me? Could you not pray for me? I, we just left supper, and I told you that tonight I'm going to be taken captive, and I'm, I'm going to be killed. I told you that. I asked you, could you pray for me? Do you think they would pray for him? Sure they would. Sure they would. Do you think they wanted to pray for Jesus? Sure they did. If Jesus came in here and asked us tonight, would we want to pray with him and pray for him? After we woke up from passing out. <laughs> do, do we not want to pray for one another? Somebody comes in and says, hey, man, I'm bothered. We take prayer requests. Why do we take prayer requests? Not so that we can tell each other our problems, because we trust handing them off to God. And we believe in the power of prayer, and we believe in praying for ourselves. If you're not going to pray for yourself, don't ask anybody else to pray for you. We believe in praying for ourselves. We believe in praying and talking to God. But we believe in the power of the family getting together. I believe that, that God allows us the opportunity to walk into the throne room of grace and make petitions for somebody else. And in that, God blesses you for making the petitions. But God answers their prayer by healing the one that they prayed for. So that the prayer is so sure. I believe that they wanted to pray for Jesus. I believe that they'd heard the story, but, but they've been through a lot today. It's been a long day. They had to do a lot of walking on some dirt roads. And then they come to dinner time. And at dinner time, Jesus comes up and he says, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat it. And as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. And he pours the wine. And he said, This is my blood, which is shed for the remission of many, for the remission of sins for many. Drink it as often as you drink it, as often as you do it. Do it in remembrance of me. And he tells them, hey, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be taken captive. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spit upon. And he says, and then, yes, they're going to kill me. I'll be killed. That's their day. That's what they've been through. So not only are they physically exhausted, they are mentally exhausted. If you just had a family member come and tell you that all that's going to happen to me tonight, can you imagine the stress? Can you imagine the anxiety? Can you imagine the toll that it takes on your body? This is their Lord. This is their master. This is their Savior. This is the Messiah. This is the one they put all their hope in and all their trust and all their faith and everything they believe in. And now he says tonight, the Jews are going to arrest me and they're going to kill me. So they've had this long day. They're worn out. And sure, they wanted to pray, but what did Jesus tell them? The Spirit indeed is willing. But the flesh is weak. That's what we deal with here. That's the flesh. We're no different. We, we battle and war with this old flesh every single day. That's the same kind of body. But our resurrected body is going to be a body of power. That's what the text says. That means I'm not going to be wore out from a long day. I'm not going to be tired from being stressed out. 
I'm not going to feel any pain. There's not going to be any weakness. There's not going to be any sickness. I'm never going to get tired. Can you imagine that one? Some of you younger people, y'all don't know what tired is yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Ne- never never going to grow old. Never going to deal with heart problems again, ever. Never going to deal with cancer. You'll never even hear the word. It'll be gone. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm about sick of that one. There's never going to be a day, but not only will we not deal with the physical problem, but we're never going to sin again. We'll never stumble and fall. I'll never disappoint my Lord again. I'll never have to come to the end of a day and think back over the course of the day and say, God, I'm so sorry. If you'll give me the strength tomorrow, I'll, I'll go back and apologize to them. I, I'll take care of some things. I'll, Lord, if you give me strength, I want to do better tomorrow than I did today. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it be awesome to never even think an impure thought? To, to never think anything bad about anybody? That, that's, that body, yeah, the mind of Christ. The, the mind of Christ. To never, to never think it. To never do anything contrary to the perfect will of God. That's going to be us. And all that, but we'll never be separated from God. I like that part too. Jesus is our ultimate example. He finished his work on Calvary's cross. He didn't abandon the body and leave it there in Joseph's tomb. He took it with him. We talked a couple weeks ago about the two men on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus walked with them and he walked and talked and, and got through and, and they didn't even know it was Jesus. They said, you must be a stranger from around here. And then when he left, they said, did our hearts not burn within us? Jesus walked with two men that knew him and they didn't even know him. But neither did Mary. John chapter 20, verse 11, Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see the two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, and where the body of Jesus had lain. They say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And she said, when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith to him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. She talked to him face to face. Didn't even recognize him. But he, he told her to do something. John chapter 20 and verse 17. It goes right there and says that he touched her. He said, he said, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Now Mary did what Jesus told her to do. She went and told them that I saw Jesus. He's resurrected, he's alive, and he told me to come tell y'all that he's gone to the Father and to your Father and to his God and your God. And I saw him. And the disciples may have been questioning that till they were up there in that upper room. And that door was shut, just like the one painted right there. 
and Jesus appeared into the room. He walked into to where they were standing in his body. Now, it says, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then, you ever paid attention to that word then? Y'all got your Bibles open to John chapter 20, verse number 20, verse number 19. The same day that he came in, he came in and he said, Peace be unto you. In verse number 20 of John chapter 20, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then, maybe y'all missing that. They weren't excited when he walked through the door and it was shut. They, they, they ain't figured it out when he just came into the room. They, no different than when they were out there on the stormy seas and saw him supposing him to be a ghost. Somebody just showed up in their room, but they don't know who he is until he shows them his hands. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Until they saw the scars, the only man-made thing that will ever be in heaven, the scars in our Lord's hands. The scars on the side and the scars on the brow. Until they saw the scars, they didn't even recognize who he was. He walked through the walls. This is the same Lord in his resurrected body. So not only did he walk through the walls, but that means since he talked to Mary, he's been to the Father's house and back. 900 years just to get to the constellation Orion at the speed of light. He's been to the third heaven and back today. He ain't never too far away to answer your prayer. He's never further than that away from you. He's never any further than that away from hearing and answering our prayer. He's never any further than that away from being where we need him at all times. That's how long it takes. Went to the Father's house and back. Now here he is in the midst of them. Now today, he's in the same body, seated at the right hand of the Father. I I didn't do a very good job of getting that right. I mean, what's a better way to say that? He is seated on God's throne in a human body. And we're going to have one just like it. Because when you see him, you shall see him as he is. We shall know him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the kind of body we got coming. One of these days, the old backaches ain't going to be so bad. We, we ain't going to wake up in the morning. I, I do, I kind of believe some of that yanceology. I believe there's got to be sleeping in heaven because that body enjoys a good nap. And even God rested on the seventh day. I mean, heaven just seems like heaven if it's a good nap. And, and I know about the marriage supper of the Lamb, so I don't have no doubt we're going to be eating some good groceries. I mean, you got, the, you got the fruit trees. You got one for every month. So you got some fruit trees. I don't even have fruit trees. can't eat fruit. And we're going to have a marriage supper of the Lamb if we ain't going to eat supper. So I know there's going to be some good groceries. So we're going to have some some. Good groceries, 
followed by a good nap. Man, that just sounds like heaven, don't it? But here's the good side of some good groceries followed by a good nap. But when you get up and move, Rice Krispies ain't going to show up. There ain't going to be no snap, crack, and pop. Wake up feeling good and get up and glorify God a little bit more. Walk into the throne room and in his presence. That's a glorified body. There's a day coming. There's a resurrection coming. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, and he's in an argument here with them because too many of them do not believe in the resurrection. Man, tell them like I told that old Jehovah's Witness on my front door, you can stay here if you want to, but I'm out of here. Matter of fact, you come on back and knock on this door again, and when I don't answer, you can have this house because I'm gone. I'm done. And he try, tried to get into the 144,000. Look, you don't even know if you're going to make it. Y'all say there's about 6 million of y'all, and only 144,000 going to get in. Somebody else might outwork you next week and you out. So don't be able to try to worry about whether or not I'm going to make it. I'll tell you, I'm in. There ain't nobody on this planet deserves hell more than this one right here, but you're looking at a picture of grace. You're looking at God's grace. You want to see what grace looks like? Deserving of hell on the way to heaven because of what God did. Glorified body. We'll pick up. We'll pick up. I ain't got time to start on another verse. We'll pick up there um, next week, Lord willing, and we'll, we'll continue on the study. Um, I kind of like this little part. You know, sometimes they get at all that stuff about what all we do wrong and correction, and I'm glad to get on the keep where we ain't got to do all that correcting for a little bit. Stays on my toes, but I do want us to take a few minutes. We've got a few minutes left. If we could pray, you remember the prayer request, remember the surgery in the morning. Um, remember that surgery was tomorrow, Randy's brother. That was another surgery tomorrow. Um, remember the medication, need that taken care of now. Um, surgery Friday. Um, another surgery Friday. No, who, who else had surgery Friday? You got surgery Friday. Um, so let's, let's come on and pray for a little bit. Before we go and ask the Lord, certainly to meet the needs of these surgeries, um, but ask him to, to touch those around them too, the, the family members that are involved in the anxieties and the things that go on there. Um, ask the Lord just, to just show up. My, my, my life verse God gave me for this church is posted right on that foyer. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I believe that. I also believe over on that other wall right there, Matthew 6, 33, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. It's all about call unto him, seek him, glorify him. We make everything about him. We thank him and we praise him. But then we have the incredible honor to stay in the throne room and make petition on behalf of somebody else that needs our prayer.